Xbox On. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Xbox On podcast, the show with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa. In today's episode, we will be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 26, including new rumors about just how many models of the next generation Xbox we will see, our first bit of news about the Halo Infinite beta, and much more. So stay tuned. So first off with this week's episode, I just want to start out by saying uh, or giving a special thank you to all of those who listened to last week's first episode of Xbox On. I was honestly expecting no one to listen or very few people to listen, but among the all the podcast platforms, including YouTube, I actually uh, found out way more people checked out the show than I was expecting. So thank you so much for that. And, and when I say way more, I mean like 14 people instead of like three people. But still, that's for me, that's an awesome start. And I'm really happy with those numbers. And I'm just excited to see how far this show can go. Additionally, I am trying to make this show as accessible as possible, and therefore, at the time of this recording, I can confirm that Xbox On is officially available on Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, and YouTube. If you are watching this week's episode via YouTube, I'll be posting links to all those podcasts so you can decide on your favorite podcast service, so please look out for those in the links below. I know a majority of podcast downloads come from iTunes, but guess what the one podcast service that still quote-unquote is processing my approval? So as frustrating as it is that the show is still not available on iTunes, this should be rectified any day now. If you want to listen via Apple Podcast Services, please stay tuned. Or as Nintendo likes to say, please be excited. And one last quick thing before we jump into the news. As the show is still incredibly new, and I am still incredibly new to podcasting, I suspect that the show will have many tweaks and changes in the coming weeks as I continue to rework the show format, try out new segments, and finalize the standard of the show. So any and all feedback would be greatly appreciated. Actually, scratch that. Any and all constructive feedback or complimentary feedback would be appreciated. You can keep all your negativity to yourselves, you damn heathens. All right, so without any further interruptions, let's just get right into this week's news. All right, so our first story is actually a pretty big one. Uh, so there's a rumor going around that Xbox or the next generation of Xbox, Project Scarlet, uh, has been pared down to just one hardware model instead of the original two we were expecting. Uh, initially, when rumors started going out about Xbox's next generation hardware, we were under the impression that there was the codenamed Anaconda and the codenamed Lockhart. Uh, the Lockhart would be like the more affordable kind of entry-level lower powered version of the console uh, that would run everything but not to its max potential whereas the Anaconda would be like the Xbox One X if you will that can really take full advantage of what the next generation of Xbox can do. Um, however that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. A lot of the confusion coming around this was initially last year in 2018 at E3 Phil Spencer had alluded to the next generation of Xbox hardware saying that Xbox was hard at work at the next Xbox consoles using the plural form of console. Um, so many believe that that kind of affirms the two iterations of Project Scarlet or what we now know as Project Scarlet. However, what he now claims to have meant by that was um, he was referring to the next generation of Xbox, uh, Scarlet, but also Xbox uh, One All Digital Edition, the SAD edition as people refer to it. So either way, it seems like uh, based on this rumor that Xbox is just working on one box. So next fall, when we get our new Xbox, 
Xbox, when we get Halo Infinite, we're just getting one Xbox, kind of like how most console launches are, like the Xbox One and every Xbox before that, where you just get one model. Now, so there are many reasons as to why Microsoft might choose to go this route, assuming that they initially had the two consoles planned for launch. And so I'll just kind of list off a couple things I think might be the cause for this. I think a big one, honestly, is just that Microsoft may have learned exactly what PS5 looks like. And what I mean by this is, you know, Phil Spencer even recently said in a podcast, the gaming industry is not that big. People kind of know everyone uh, one way or another, whether directly or indirectly. And so as much as people might think that like Xbox kind of works in a vacuum uh, versus PlayStation and they just really don't know what the other one's doing and they're kind of like battling out against each other. These companies actually kind of have a good concept of what their competitors working on a lot of the times. And so I think what happened is perhaps earlier in the development cycle of the Scarlet, Microsoft was trying to prepare for whatever PlayStation was working on for whatever the PlayStation 5 would be. And so to kind of combat that, they were working on the Lockhart version of their next hardware, which would be like, this is what we're aiming to make. This is what uh, we think will be a good price for consumers and will be an adequate amount of power to call something a next generation piece of hardware. But they were also like, kind of concurrently working on what they refer to as the Anaconda, which might have been the, this is the more expensive, even beefier version of the box that we will have kind of R&D'd and ready to go in case whatever Sony's working on for PS5 turns out to be something even more powerful, you know, so we're not outdone. Um, and then maybe perhaps as they kind of learn more about what PlayStation was working on, um, they were able to go, okay, so now we can either pair back Anaconda or beef up Lockhart and kind of meet somewhere in the middle, or maybe one of these is obsolete because we know what the competitor is working on. So to be kind of competitive to be in the realm of what Sony's working on or maybe just to have the edge on them a little bit we've decided that this is the only model we need um, that's a little more of like a down in the weeds kind of interpretation of it perhaps that's like kind of too much uh, looking into what's happening but I really think that is a possibility um, a lot of times you know it's no coincidence that things like the Xbox 360 and PS3 came out and they were kind of equal in power uh, Xbox One and PS4 come out and they're kind of equal in power these aren't coincidences uh, a lot of these companies are familiar with what the competitor is working on as well as you know, both all these companies are trying to meet certain price points when they're going to market with this new hardware. Um, and so to kind of hit these price points and be profitable or to kind of break even or to not lose too much money on the sale of the console, they learn that this is the kind of chip set we can sell in this box uh, for the time being. This is the kind of hard drive we can sell. And so that's how a lot of these consoles kind of come out similar in uh, specs wise. So I think that could be a lot of what we're seeing is just now that we're this much closer to the future uh, of Xbox, the next generation of Xbox. Xbox, we now have a better idea, or Microsoft rather has a better idea of which one of the various consoles they were R&Ding um, would be more kind of ideal for market. So they've crossed out the other one they were R&Ding uh, with the intention that they were only ever going to ship one, but just R&Ding two boxes to be ready for whatever, you know, comes ahead in the coming years. The other more kind of simple version or interpretation of this news really is just that Microsoft looked at the optics of kind of coming out the gate with two new consoles for your next generation and the kind of confusion messaging that can come with that, especially when we're not that far off from the release of the Xbox One X and the all digital edition. And that if you come to market for a new generation of hardware with two new boxes, it might really like muddy the conversation really confuse a lot of more general audience members, people who aren't so into gaming. So to kind of be able to control the marketing better and to really ensure that they knock this next generation out of the park, which let's be honest, Xbox really needs. They're, they've decided on just one box 
to kind of be able to control and really uh, uh, hit out of the park that messaging as best they can. And that's also probably equally, if not more plausible reality of what's happening here. But I just thought both of those would be interesting takes to kind of explore. But nonetheless, judging by this rumor, it looks like next fall when we get our new Xbox hardware, we should just be getting the one box, uh, which should make it a lot easier for all of us. Now, the big question that still leaves is what are we looking at in terms of price? Because based on the little tidbits of information we recently got from Mark Cerny about what the PlayStation 5 is going to look like. And based on what we know about Project Scarlet from a couple weeks ago at E3, these next generation consoles look pretty powerful in the sense of like these solid state drives and just like this no loading thing. They sound expensive. Um, I don't, I'm not a hardware expert. I'm not going to get too into the weeds about the specifics of the of the hardware because I just don't know too much. But it doesn't sound like these guys are going to be able to easily hit the $400 price point that kind of PS4 came out the gate with, uh, which I find to be really the sweet spot for new hardware. So either these guys have to, PlayStation Xbox have to kind of eat the cost of this next generation hardware, or they're going to have to, or they have some kind of technology or access to new hardware that we just don't know about otherwise. Because, I mean, if you use these specs and compare them to like the PC market, these would be pretty powerful PCs for as far as we know. However, you know, packing it all into a console, again, it's just, I don't know how they're going to hit that like sweet spot of like a $400 box. That being said, of course, you know, Microsoft is ordering parts for their new hardware in mass quantities them buying a solid state hard drive to put in like millions of xbox units costs a lot less than like a consumer buying a solid state drive for his personal computer so it's not quite the same thing but still interesting to see it looks like microsoft is going to go with one box Um, let's just hope they are able to like hit it out of the park with that whole checklist of things this next box has to have in order to really captivate gaming audiences uh, so they don't have a kind of repeat of the xbox one reveal which i really don't think they are going to have I think Phil Spencer and the team at Xbox really knows what they're doing right now. And I have no doubt that regardless of how well Xbox does relative to PlayStation in the future, the next generation of Xbox is going to be an impressive one. All right, so let's jump into our second story. So Phil Spencer actually posted a 1200 word essay on a Microsoft blog called Video Games, a Unifying Force for the World. And in this, he um, the piece of news from this essay that really spoke to audiences was kind of the talk of the key aspects he was talking about in this. This article seems to be about adding like moderation features to Xbox Live to make the community a little more um, all age friendly to kind of control and vet out inappropriate language and just kind of uh, toxic communities, which I mean, anyone who's played video games online knows that you're bound to eventually run into someone who's going to just be a troll and say some heinous uh, shit on the Internet. And so basically what he's talking about is kind of introducing these new features to kind of moderate Xbox Live and silence kind of hate speech in an attempt to make the brand more accessible and all age friendly as the Xbox brand continues to evolve and adapt to new hardware and new platforms like, you know, cell phones and everything with Project X Cloud as we're going to see Xbox become more available on new hardware. So a lot of people were kind of taking badly to this at first. I think they were thinking of it the wrong way, like uh, like Xbox is like uh, censoring free speech. Um, but that's not really what this is like. Honestly, if you look at Xbox is like... It's like a store or business, right? Yeah, right. Xbox is an American company. In the US, we have the right to free speech. But if you walk into a movie theater and start saying some like heinous, offensive stuff, bigoted stuff, racist stuff, or life-threatening things, you know, AMC reserves the right to throw you out of their movie theater. Yeah, you're in America, but you're on you're in a private business. Uh, AMC has the right to kind of have their guests adhere to their code of conduct and enact or remove you if they find your behavior or your speech to be kind of out of line with what they're looking 
looking for. So I don't really see how this is any different where you treat Xbox Live like the private business, you know, the place you come to Microsoft's property, to Microsoft's place. And and if you come in there and engage in a way that kind of betrays their code of conduct, I, I don't see why Microsoft doesn't reserve the right to remove you from that community. So I don't really see this as a ban on free speech. I just see this as them kind of saying, hey, these are the parameters for how we want our community to look. And if you're going to come in here and disrupt the order, then like you're free to go continue to be an ass or continue to say the things you're saying, just not here. Just go somewhere else and do it because that's not what Xbox is all about. So honestly, I didn't have anything really against what Phil Spencer was saying here. He's just talking about making gaming more accessible to everyone, regardless of your age or ability or location or what you play on, just any of the things that make people different from one another, that they're going to introduce these new features to kind of help people moderate their communities, saying that mostly um, this will kind of be introduced, what they're calling is the Xbox safety team. They've nicknamed this kind of initiative, the Defenders of Joy. And they're talking about adding these features starting this summer to the official club community. So club managers on Xbox Live will be able to like kind of protect content by moderating using moderation features to help kind of create like safer spaces for people to discuss and keep like the focus of the conversation in what the community is related to rather than people getting off topic and maybe starting to get a little like a offensive or whatever it is. So they plan on by the end of this year, by the end of 2019, kind of expanding these uh, moderation features to other kinds of aspects and facets of Xbox Live so that uh, including things like creating a child's account or a teen's account so that parents can kind of guard where their kids are going on Xbox Live, who they're interacting with, um, you know, just basically standard uh, kind of parental control features. Now, the reason why I do find this interesting, aside from just Xbox trying to make it, you know, like a more accepting and social place for, for all is that, you know, if you think about Xbox Live going off the Xbox platform, you know, not not just console, not just Xbox console, not just PC, and not just like phones via xCloud and stuff, but I'm talking about like putting Xbox Live on Nintendo Switch. We all know, if you've ever played a Nintendo piece of hardware, how incredibly protective Nintendo is of children. That's why, that's why Nintendo online services are absolutely horrible and have been forever is because they use these excuses like, we don't want children connecting with strangers online and having bad interactions. Nintendo is a family brand. They want to keep that pure light association. You know, perhaps like things like this could be a result of, of other people twisting Microsoft's arm a little bit saying things like, you know, if you want to eventually get Xbox Live on Switch, we need to know that you have the moderation and the parental control features to really help us be able to maintain the Nintendo standard of if your kid's going to pick up an, a Nintendo console and play video games, that they're going to be able to have a safe and family-free or a safe and family-friendly kind of environment to engage with other players. So there's always that possibility as well. But then ultimately, this is just Xbox really saying hey, we're, uh, we're opening up the options for players to kind of customize their experience so they can go online and, and kind of those who are afraid to have these negative experiences and engage with these certain types of people, we can help them kind of avoid those encounters. Uh, really not too complicated, just more opportunities for players to kind of curate the experiences they're looking for when on Xbox services. All right, our next story is about Halo Infinite. Finally, some news about Halo Infinite, the game I'm most excited for. So not crazy, not like a, a huge groundbreaking story or anything, but 343 recently said that, of course, Halo Infinite will be receiving a beta, much like how Halo 5 received, uh, I think, two betas leading up to its launch the, in like the two years leading up to its launch. One, we are getting a beta, but they did confirm that uh, the beta will be 
be coming to Xbox before it comes to PC, although they didn't really specify like how much sooner it will come to Xbox before PC, or even give a time frame as to when we will be getting the beta at all. Honestly, I think this Halo Infinite beta comes as early as this winter and as late as next summer, and I'm talking like later in the summer. However, additionally to the news about the Halo Infinite beta, they've already announced that kind of just getting people hyped for Halo Infinite multiplayer. Uh, they were showing off that split screen. They already have it up and running. So the, the whole purpose of that is, you know, a lot of fans were very upset with Halo 5 because it did away with the split screen. It did away with the, the LAN options. So the only way to really play co-op or, or through campaign or any of that was to play via Xbox Live. And I know for a lot of Halo players, the seminal Halo experience is kind of like the all-nighter sleepover with your buddy playing through Halo. So people were really upset when Halo 5 didn't have that. And it was a couple of years ago that Bonnie Ross over at 343 vowed that like going forward, Halo will have split screen again. We're sorry that we upset so many people, disappoint so many people. Uh, we will rectify that and make sure that's going forward. Halo continues to be that experience that we all know it for with split screen. So it's just kind of them making good on a promise saying, we haven't forgotten about you. Remember to be hyped about Halo Infinite because we're going back to what you love about Halo. We're going back to like the big land parties and the split screen co-op and all that stuff. Um, so not huge news, just just them trying to tease that a little bit. However, I am excited to have the beta confirmed, you know, that we are getting a beta because the sooner I can play whatever the hell Halo Infinite is, the, the better off I'll be. But yeah, that's that story. Moving on to our next story, Doom Eternal, the highly anticipated first-person shooter coming out at the end of this year uh, from id Software, is not going to have any kind of traditional deathmatch multiplayer. And this kind of doesn't really come as a shock to me, although I really feel like deathmatch multiplayer is kind of a staple to games like Doom, to like these kind of arena shooters. You know, when we talk about Doom 2016, the multiplayer never really comes up. For as much as people really were surprised by how great that game is, the multiplayer is just kind of like in the corner and it's not really a big part of the conversation. But I believe, I also think that like for the Switch version, they just didn't even bother with, with the multiplayer. I think they put like the snap map mode they created or whatever in as like a download or like it came in later or something. But yeah, the multiplayer ended up becoming a total afterthought for that game, or at least in the, uh, the public's perception, not so much from a development standpoint. So, Doom Eternal will not have kind of your traditional deathmatch multiplayer, but it is going to, of course, have that 2v1 battle mode they announced back at E3, where like one person plays as like the kind of tricked out, beefed up human when the other two play as like demons and they're kind of, they have their own abilities and skills. And then it's kind of like which side wins, that kind of thing. So I think this is actually kind of a smart move because when you look at like the multiplayer landscape, not only are there just so many games these days to get your kind of online shooter multiplayer fix, but we really see that traditional kind of deathmatch thing kind of fall into the wayside as there's just such a big competition between like multiplayer games looking for players attention and time and it seems like really the bigger games these days are like your hero shooters like your overwatch and and your battle royale stuff like fortnite and apex legends and such so it just doesn't seem like your traditional kind of deathmatch multiplayer really has the impression that it once did except for of course exceptions like call of duty and whatnot so if you're gonna have to do multiplayer in Doom going forward, I think it is smart for them to try something different, although I really personally don't see this battle mode taking off. I do respect the fact that they're going to try to do something unique, try to do something different, and you never know those kinds of things, you know, those can go highly rewarded if people really find something special about it, but there really doesn't seem to be much of a rhyme or reason as to which kind of new gameplay modes stick and which ones just kind of come and go without much of like um, any kind of notice from the audience. You know, despite how much people like me love playing Deathmatch, it just didn't really seem 
to work on the last Doom, and I'm glad they're not wasting their time and resources really investing in that or doubling down on that. Um, and they're just putting that time and effort into presumably the campaign, um, and I guess this battle mode too. Which who knows? Maybe it'll be amazing. We'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, we'll see how that pans out in a couple months. All right, all you EA haters out there, this next one's a pretty big one. EA Games CEO Andrew Wilson uh, has admitted to Anthem's uh, failures, kind of as a game. This is a pretty big deal. Uh, in an interview with GameDaily.biz, Wilson came out and said that the two-player demographics they were attempting to target was your traditional like Bioware fan that's looking for more story-driven content, and the other was the action-adventure type content, you know, like the Destiny player, the guy who wants to play for tons and tons of hours and come back for added content and do the loot grind and all that. And what they basically admitted was their calculation was off, and, and they really didn't reach either audience with what they were trying to do, you know, in an effort to kind of appease both audiences. They really catered to neither and really kind of dropped the ball in the game overall. Uh, so basically, he admitted that, you know, people that were looking for like a Destiny-like game uh, weren't finding enough content, and the people that were looking for like a deep Bioware-like game weren't really finding enough of a story. So kind of dropping the ball with that, he just goes on to say, you know, moving forward with Anthem, it's not over. We're not giving up. He says, quote, if we believe that the very core of the game wasn't compelling people, if we believe that the very core of the characters weren't compelling for people, or the javelin suits weren't compelling, or traversing the world and participating in the world wasn't compelling, and if we hadn't made further promises to our players, we might not be further investing. Uh, so basically what he's saying is Anthem might just be cut off and dead, really, uh, if they hadn't made all these promises, if they hadn't teased what a giant game it was going to be. Uh, he goes on to say that the teams at Bioware will continue to come to work every day and listen to their players old and new and seek to deliver on the promises that they've made to those players. That is what you're seeing with Anthem today. So I find the story really interesting because from one perspective, EA is in a situation where they cannot drop the ball in terms of the support for Anthem. They are on players' bad sides so much right now that if they just said, yeah, EA or Anthem totally didn't pan out, it sold well in its first few weeks, but people hated it, it dropped off really hard immediately, and we just haven't seen it pick back up, we're banning this. If EA did that, there would be virtual riots, uh, you know, throughout Reddit and Twitter and in the gaming sphere, uh, because people just love to hate EA, and, you know, sometimes rightfully so, um, but with this, I think this whole Anthem situation is pretty indicative of the kind of risk that comes with these big open in shared world games, which is where, you know, the there's such high risk, high reward games to make because, you know, these publishers and these devs, they take these kinds of games um, and they try to they try to invest a lot of money up front with the game, hoping that a huge community will come from it and it'll be a massive success. And then they'll be able to make money on the back end through new in-game content, kind of microtransactions, expansions, which will all be easier to kind of add in, have a lower development cost as as the game kind of goes on. The idea of building like a community or a platform rather than a game, than a sequel, than a sequel, is just way lower on the cost long term, and it yields such a high profit if you really have this community sucked into the game, constantly promoting it from their love of the game, constantly buying stuff through microtransactions, and we see that with games like Destiny, and it seems like all these major publishers really want a game like that, but as we've seen time and time again, unless your game is Destiny, which has also dropped off dramatically in years, or The Division, it just really doesn't pan out, so it's a huge risk to be going for games like this, and you know, a lot of people will tell you they saw this coming from a mile away with, with Anthem, um, and it looks like that's the case where the game came out, it sold incredibly well for a couple weeks, got really mixed to mediocre reception, and audiences just hated it and wanted to hate on EA as a result of the game coming out. 
and being what it was. So the situation EA is in now is that players have purchased their game. EA and BioWare promised so much uh, before the game even came out in terms of like the kind of roadmap and the, the year or two after the game's launch. They can't really just turn back and burn all these people. One, because it's just incredibly unfair to the people who've already invested in your product and spent $60 on the game. And two, because if you're EA and you do that, it looks way, way worse than if you're any other company and do that. So EA is really not in a position where they can just, while they might be able to financially uh, deal with just scratching Anthem and moving on, they can't deal with the kind of publicity and the optics that come with going through with a decision like that. So they're kind of stuck with Anthem. So, you know, not that they have much of a choice, but a little bit of respect to EA for kind of sticking it out, despite how poorly Anthem seems to anecdotally be performing all these months after its its release. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if uh, in a year or two, we see Anthem kind of have a No Man's Sky kind of story of going from like this game people just really didn't like at first uh, and got a lot of shit for in the in its earlier life uh, but then kind of goes on to just the team puts their heads down goes to work and just keeps working on the game like just tireless hours until you look back in two years and you go wow this is an entirely different game from what it was when it had initially launched you know who knows maybe Anthem will go on to be an incredible game in, in a couple of years time but at the same time you can't really blame players who were there day one and were burned incredibly bad and don't really have the desire to go back and give EA any more of their time or money because I understand those things are precious commodities that not everyone can just go around throwing around and it is a little negligent of EA to be willing to throw out a game that's so half-baked in the first place and just being able to take being willing to take advantage of players time and money like that so it's a complicated situation but good on EA for deciding to stick with Anthem they can afford to do so they need to do so for the optics and, and the kind of goodwill of the gaming community and so we'll see how that kind of turns out as the roadmap continues to unfold and we see new Anthem content all right we're down to our last two stories so the next story we've got here is kind of a quick one just about Gears 5 uh, IGN had a part of their IGN first they did a whole in-depth featurette on the enemies and the weapons of Gears of War 5. While I'm not going to get too into detail about that kind of stuff, I do want to just say I find it increasingly interesting that the Coalition and Microsoft can continue to show us Gears of War 5, or Gears 5 as they're calling it, I suppose. This new mode, uh, Escape, and as well as Horde mode, which will be in the game again. They keep just showing us the game through gameplay through these modes, and instead of just showing us like the campaign in action. Uh, I know last year when it was announced, they showed kind of the campaign cinematic trailer. It showed a little bit of gameplay in that story trailer. Um, but I just find it so interesting that the game comes out in September. And I expected it to be a huge part of Microsoft showing at E3. But instead, they just showed this really like ambiguous like character trailer. And then they showed off this new escape mode. And then it was just like, forget about the campaign. I almost wonder if this is their way of saying like, at this point, everyone knows what Gears of War is. We've played Gears of War. We've seen Gears of War. We'd rather show you what's really really new, which is this new multiplayer mode we're working on. As far as the story goes, we're not going to spoil anything for you. Just know that if you've been playing Gears of War games up through now, this game will be a continuation of that story. It will be more Gears of War campaign. So rather than just showing you more campaign footage, let's show you this new game mode we're working on. So that people who know what to expect from a Gears of War campaign will just know they're getting more of that. And players who've never played Gears of War or perhaps are looking for something new can see this new and subjectively exciting mode they're working on. So I do just find that 
a little interesting that this close to launch and still the kind of information we're getting on Gears 5 is still like about this new mode and we just know so little about the campaign and interesting way to kind of market a game leading up to its release but we'll see how it kind of pans out for them. Anecdotally it just seems like Gears of War 4 kind of underperformed uh, much in the way with Halo 5 it just seemed like you know people aren't as hungry for these Xbox franchises as they once were especially you know of course the 360 era where these franchises were massive and, and Microsoft was so on top of this stuff. It just seems like these franchises have fallen so much the wayside these days and especially in, in a world where the market's so PlayStation dominant and people really love and have an affinity for these uh, big budget Sony AAA games. Um, I mean, f- for myself, as much as someone like me really enjoyed Gears of War 4, it's actually my favorite Gears of War game. Uh, for as much as I love Halo 5, it's Halo 5 is arguably my favorite Halo game. I mean, Halo 3 would like to have a conversation with that opinion, but uh, it's just it just seems like, you know, the diehard Gears community, the diehard Halo community, we're here really keeping these franchises alive. And of course, there are casual casual gamers who still love these franchises dearly, but it just seems like the 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 staying power, the kind of the kind of sting of these franchises just doesn't exist the way it used to. Uh, and it makes me wonder, uh, I mean, obviously this conversation has been being had for a while now but like Microsoft has to come out with something new um, because if these franchises are going to persist the way they have they really need to come out swinging with some additional IPs to really get the other gamers the PlayStation gamers the lapsed Xbox gamers really excited about these brand this brand again which of course that's the whole purpose of all these studios they've been acquiring so uh, needless to say these new games these new franchises are on the way I just think Gears of War 5 especially being so alone this year you know with no Forza no Halo no Fable know anything like that it's just more apparent than ever before that xbox is in some need of new triple a top quality cream of the crop um, games and just you know the sooner we can get there the sooner will be the better will be for xbox and xbox gamers alike i do respect the steady and slow wins the race kind of mentality that xbox has and of course a lot of these games that uh, their new developers are working on are either one years away from being shown or two I guess the two are kind of related, are, you know, next generation games, not really Xbox One games. They're playing to save all their ammunition for next generation and really come out swinging. And honestly, I think that kind of brings us into our next story pretty well. So Xbox head Phil Spencer had an interview with Kotaku about kind of Xbox's struggle with quality games and their efforts to improve and while I'm not going to go too much into reading it, I really think it's just interesting how candid Kotaku employee Steven uh, Totillo was about, you know, just like being really candid about Xbox's kind of disposition and, and how they plan to like kind of address uh, their challenges right now with their first party lineup. So basically, you know, I'm going to read from this, uh, this first question of the interview. Steven says, this is the first year without a new Forza game that I can recall. Why is that? And so skipping down a little bit to Phil Spencer's response, he says, you know, kind of referring to the exciting thing about E3 is you don't have to show everything. You can kind of hold back knowing in the back of your head what's on the horizon and, and say, you know, sometimes the exciting thing is what we don't know about of course um, and so basically he says I'll just pull from this he says quote uh, it was nice and this hasn't always been the case with our first party lineup where we have the ability to not show everything all at one time in the case of Forza I want the team just like we did with 343 we gave them time we did what four halos in four years giving them an opportunity to really think and to really have a creative impact when they launch turn 10 is similar I want to give them time to think through their plans I love what they do with Forza Motorsports 
but you've got to be able to listen to your studios when they need time and want to focus on more things. And as you have more content, you'll be able to do that. Obviously, what Phil Spencer is getting at here is that, you know, for example, Forza has been on this like biannual kind of uh, cycle where, you know, it's like one year is a motorsport year, the next year is a Forza Horizon year, then back to Motorsport Horizon and so on. You know, two different studios making those. Turn 10 makes the classic Forza Motorsport and Playground Games makes the Horizons games. So basically what's happening here is Spencer's talking about his studio saying, hey, I know we normally make a Forza every two years, but you know, we could really impress people with the next Forza if we broke the cycle just for the sake of having a new Forza and really took the time to invest in new features, perhaps new engine improvements, new, you know, new game modes, whatever the case may be. And he's saying that with Halo as well. You know, this gap between Halo 5 and Infinite, I think might be the largest gap we've had without a Halo game. Reach was 2010 and 4 was 2012 yeah so you know it's been this october will be four years since halo 5 and then so you know when halo infinite comes out it'll have been five years between halo games so i mean what's really exciting about this is phil spencer's getting at they're giving their studios the time to make the games they need to make and i think this is so crucial for xbox right now because again i'll preface this as much as i love halo like i mean halo's top favorite gaming franchises of all time rip my nostalgia for mario away from me and just boil it down to pure game i think halo might be my favorite game of all time i love that franchise with a burning passion but i'm also not blind and i totally see how gamers look at these franchises and you know we can brag all we want about how forza is the best racing game franchise around but that only goes so far because racing games are niche you know um, people aren't like burning you know people aren't like oh man i just played uh, i just played dark souls 3 and i just played you know all these like souls games that people are crazy about and and spy Spider-Man and God of War and all these PlayStation games people love. Like, what do you what do you recommend next? And you go, well, uh, Forza Motorsport or Forza Horizon Four has a uh, uh, like a 97 Metacritic score. It's like, okay, that's that's great for Forza fans, but that's not everyone. Xbox really needs to come out swinging with new games that ca- that cater to wider audiences, that grab newer demographics of gamers. And the problem is, like I was just saying a moment ago with the Gear story, Gears of War, Halo, they're not hitting like they used to. Forza, it's too niche. Uh, franchises like Fable, where are they? You know, there's rumors that we've got a new one on the way. I don't doubt that, but you know, it's like this is the this is the position Xbox gamers are in. Now, of course, Xbox is clearly addressing this. That's why they're acquiring so many studios. Uh, but what makes this interview so interesting is because. For the first time, it's really an example of of the public getting to see or Phil Spencer in a position where he has to address this. He can't really beat around this uh, this question because it's it's a pressing thing that's been on the minds of gamers uh, pertaining to Xbox for years, and and here he is addressing it. You know, basically uh, what Stephen goes on to ask him or to mention is that when he spoke to Phil Spencer back when he was the uh, head of first party for Xbox back in like 2007, he was talking about how it's better for Xbox to have fewer studios so they can focus on really high quality games, a couple of really high quality games, then have a bunch of studios and a bunch of games in development so that you have like a massive lineup of mediocre to good games, you know, quality over quantity. But he's saying, you know, how have you changed your tune? Because clearly you've acquired so many new studios. We've got so many new games in the works that we don't know about yet. You know, how, how do you justify something like that considering your original stance? And so he says, and I'll quote this, the support that we're getting now and that we've had over the last couple of years has allowed us to invest in our first party, adding eight new studios and really create room for us to focus on the quality. I feel good about what Rod Ferguson has done with the Gears of War studio at the Coalition, what Bonnie Ross has done at Halo with 343 Industries, and what Alan has done with Turn 
10 and what Helen has done with Minecraft, etc. So basically what he's saying is, or sorry, I'll continue the quote to add more context. It's not about PRing you with whether or not all of our studios are great or not. I think what I see now with, with Matt Booty running First Party and a number of studios is that we have a great number of games in development. I don't feel that I need to announce things at the wrong time in order to win some rating system somewhere. I feel like I can give teams the time they need in order to get the right creative positions in place so they're building the game that they want to build. And when things require more time, we can afford to make sure that they're given the right amount of time. Basically what Spencer's getting at here is, you know, the more studios they have now, the more of an excuse they have to say, okay, we know you're used to a Halo every three years, but now you're going to get a Halo every five or six years. And you want to know how we're going to justify that? We've got these eight other studios working on games. So while it might be a little bit longer to wait for a Halo, look at this new game, the new studio at Playground's making. Look at what the initiative's making. Look, look at what Double Fine's making. You know, all these different all these different studios they have, the way they justify it is they've got a new first party game coming out from a different developer constantly every year, every every six months, whatever the case is. The, the point is that this new acquisition of all these studios will allow them the ability to come out with more content on a consistent basis while allowing pre-existing companies or allowing just these studios in general to be able to take more time to really perfect and really make special games. And I, I read this as Microsoft saying without saying, we know. We know Halo 5 didn't light the world on fire the way Halo 3 did. We know Gears of War 5 doesn't have people nearly as excited as they were when Gears of War 2 and 3 were announced. We get that. So here's what we're saying. We're going to reinvent the wheel with Halo. We're going to make the best damn Halo you've ever seen in your life. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to take twice as long to develop the game, and we're going to give you a bunch of other games from varying other studios while you wait for it. And then those studios will also have the opportunity to make bigger and better games than they've ever made before because they'll have the next Halo or the next Gears of War to play while you're waiting on their games. And that's the benefit to having a bigger portfolio of studios. And I think the way he, Phil Spencer's trying to justify the quality over quantity argument is that, you know, these studios they've acquired as well as the studios they built are from proven talent. You know, these studios have, like, Double Fine has a crazy history. People know Double Fine. They make great games, you know. The Coalition has proven themselves with the Gears of War franchise back when they were at Epic Games and even now as the Coalition. The initiative is formed by uh, industry veterans who have proven themselves through work on, like, games like Uncharted and whatnot. So the point he's trying to make is we have veteran studios, we have top tier talent that know how to manage themselves and that we put our faith in. So if they tell us, you know, we don't need you breathing down our neck, telling us this about a game or when we need to have it out. If you just give us the time and resources to make the game we want to make, we promise you a really high quality game. And I think what that means is just, we're going to be waiting here for a couple of years, twiddling our thumbs with not much happening in, in, in terms of first party Xbox. But in a handful of years, you're going to see Xbox in a very unique position maybe similar to what Sony has or perhaps even better where the games that they've made in the past you know the franchises they've been relying on for years are going to be better than they've ever been and then all the new first party games they're going to have are going to be super high quality because Microsoft has the money to justify these studios making more ambitious games and these studios have the track record and the talent to really invest in unique and kind of proven content because we can see their past, we can see their their game history and, and see that they're known for making great games. Uh, and I, I, I suppose this is Phil Spencer's way of saying, you know, the, the Xbox approach is we are going bigger, we are going better, uh, and, and this is how we're going to do it and kind of explain this best of both worlds approach. That's how they justify what the future of Xbox first party games are going to look like. So basically in short, I think, you know, buying these studios that have the proven track record 
uh, can cut back from, you know, the higher ups concerns of whether or not they're producing quality games. Um, And so that way the Xbox teams can continue to grow uh, by having just tons of new games in development and also the Xbox management and the kind of portfolio managers can have more confidence in the slate of games they have coming out due to the confidence in the studios that they own and that they've built. Uh, and I think that's really what Spencer's getting at in terms of the future of the Xbox portfolio. All right, so that's going to do it for the news. Next, let's talk about the new games coming up this week. So last week, I just named a couple of notable games that were coming out. I think I named like two games, just the names and a little bit as to who developed them or whatever. This week, I want to try something a little different. I'm going to read the list of games coming out. Uh, Xbox Wire, an excellent website. Microsoft Xbox-owned website just kind of gives you straight news about, you know, straight wire news about what's happening with Xbox. They make a list weekly that shows kind of the list of games coming out each week so I just kind of grabbed that and we'll read from there and see what we've got coming to Xbox this week unless I can't count there are 12 new games coming to Xbox this week the first one is car mechanic simulator and the little blurb explaining what that is is a build and expand a repair service empire in the incredibly detailed and highly realistic simulator game where attention to car detail is astonishing find classic unique cars in this new barn find module and junkyard module module okay each mission offers its own unique challenge of varying difficulties and time constraints to meet okay that looks like a uh, kind of niche car nerd game so that is car mechanics simulator the next game is samurai showdown which it notes is an xbox one enhanced game the description for that is 11 years have passed since the last series installment and it is now time for samurai showdown to return in a brand new game featuring high-end visuals and gameplay and faithfully reproducing the game mechanics and atmosphere that contributed to the success of the series including revolutionary features that learn players action and patterns to create cpu controlled ghost characters okay uh, next game monster jam steel titan also Xbox One X enhanced. Monster Jam Steel Titans delivers the compelling Monster Jam experience for everyone to show all the trucks, stunts, stadiums, racing, and massive air in one game. Play in various game modes, including stadium and outdoor racing, compete in various stunt challenges, and destruction modes. Is it weird that, uh, what does it say about me that I am mildly intrigued by this game looking at these screenshots and such? Next game, Wii, period, the revolution. It's like Wii, End sentence. The Revolution. Uh, we the Revolution is a unique game with a singular art style set in the blood-soaked and paranoid world of the French Revolution. As a judge in the Revolutionary Tribunal, you will pass sentences and play a dangerous political game. At the end of the day, you will also confront your decisions with your family, which puts players in morally ambiguous situations in which there are no obvious solutions. I have no idea what kind of game that is. All right, Shadow Fencer Theater. Competitive, awkward physics and fighting games set in the world of Shadow Puppets. Take center stage with a unique cast of characters and make your way to become the grandmaster of the theater. Okay. If these descriptions aren't grabbing me, I'm just going to move on to the next one. Just a couple more left. Attack of the Toy Tanks. Take control of provided vehicles of war and battle it out across different arenas and be the last tank standing. Just in case the AI-controlled threat doesn't offer up enough challenge, you can always check out multiplayer mode and go head-to-head against a friend. Maybe not online. Um, Who cares? I don't care. Outbreak. Lost Hope. Experience a mother's desperate search for her granddaughter during the nationwide epidemic. The story follows Gwen just after her harrowing escape from Urban Center during the outbreak. Zombie game. Don't care. War Tech Fighters. Also Xbox One X enhanced. The rebel colonies of Hebos and Eras have joined forces to battle against the Zetros Empire. All right, too many words I'm butchering. I'm not going to read it. The Sinking City, the half-submerged city of Oakmont, is gripped with supernatural forces. You're a private investigator, undercover, 
uncovering the truth that has possessed the city and corrupted the minds of the inhabitants and yours. The Sinking City is an adventure game set in an open world inspired by the universe of HP Lovecraft. How you like that? F1 2019. This is also an Xbox One X enhanced game. F1 2019 features the official team's drivers and the 21 circuits for the 2019 season. This year sees the inclusion of F2, with players being able to compete in the 2018 season with the likes of George Russell, Lando Norris, and Alexander and Alexander Albon. Albon. God, I can't read today. With greater emphasis on graphical fidelity. Don't care. Looks like kind of like a technical racer F1. It's like a division of car racing. I don't know what I'm talking about. Furwind. <laughs> a colorful pixel art style action platformer that evokes the challenging classic games of the genre. Embark on this epic adventure in which a little fox will fight on the ominous dark, will fight the ominous darkness that has invaded its world. Cool. Platformers are good stuff. Irony Curtains from the Matryoshka with Love. From the Matryoshka with Love. Irony Curtain. Okay. This is an Xbox Play Anywhere game, meaning that it is also available on PC. Uh, the description says a, sat a satirical point and click inspired by classic adventure games. It smuggles you out of the comfort zone and throws you into the middle of a Cold War spying intrigue where there's an even bigger game being played. Jump into the wacky spy adventure, uncover secrets of the bizarre community, country, and powerful capitalist empire. Witness the story full of unpredictable twists and turns and discover the true agenda of the mysterious supreme leader. All right, I don't know if I'll do that again next week because I just reading it, I feel like that was probably a boring segment. So thank you for bearing through with that if you did. Wrapping up, we'll talk about the games coming to Game Pass in gold as well as our Game Pass Spotlight of the Week. So the game coming to Game Pass this week, you know, as I mentioned on last week's show, Game Pass will be getting uh, Torment Tides of Numera, Numenera, me with the pronouncing words today. That'll be coming to PC and Goat Simulator will be on both PC and Xbox, although I'm pretty sure it's been available on Xbox for a while. But as a reminder, uh, the game's leaving Game Pass in the next few days on June 30th. On June 30th, remember June 30th, these games are leaving if you care at all. Dead Island Definitive Edition, that's a bad game. Devil May Cry 4 Special Edition, that's worth playing. Shadow Complex Remastered, that's worth playing. Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3, that is worth playing if you like fighters. I suck at fighters. And then, of course, Zombie Army Trilogy, which was my Game Pass Spotlight game last week. Cannot stress enough. Try that game out before it's gone. It is so good. You only have a few days left. This week, Games with Gold. Uh, last week, I forgot to mention Games with Gold, which is an absolute embarrassment, seeing as it's such a big part of the Xbox Live experience. Uh, so my apologies on that. But going over Xbox Games with Gold, uh, for the rest of the month, the remainder of June, the next few days, uh, players with gold can download NHL 19 and Earth Defense Force uh, 2017, which is definitely worth checking out. Both of those are free with Games with Gold. Rivals of Aether is also available through July 15th so you got some time to nab that one but honestly if you're going to go ahead and download one you know just download them all because they're all free all you got to do is initiate the download you can cancel the download if you are low on hard drive space uh, and that way it's just in your backlog in case you ever for whatever want a reason play this uh, game so you know you can get all those for free even if you don't plan on playing them blah 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 because you know more is more that is it for what is coming to game pass games of gold just coming new games coming to xbox in general uh so let's wrap up this second episode of xbox on with our xbox game pass spotlight this week i want to talk about onrush onrush is fucking awesome uh this game i never heard about it came out last summer it looks like it was made by a lot of like ex-devs of various racing games onrush was developed by codemasters evo british studio from england notable thing about this game's development the a lot of the staff that worked on this game are ex 
uh, people from Evolution Studios, which is the studio that made Drive Club in 2014 that Sony shut down because that game was supposed to be a PS4 launch game, got delayed a year, and was littered with problems. So they went on, a lot of those guys went on to work on this game. Um, the project was led by Paul Rushinsky, something Russian looking. Uh, he directed Drive Club, so this is like his next game he worked on. Uh, it's actually really quite unfortunate what happened to this game because it came out last summer, it went, didn't sell very well, didn't do very well and a lot of the team behind the game including the um the studio head who had worked on drive through on drive club uh was actually unfortunately let go from the studio which is really unfortunate uh especially because this game is really awesome so let's describe what it is it's like a vehicle combat game so yes you are racing on a track but it's not like your typical like three laps to the finish line first place wins you in fact racing and your position in the race doesn't actually matter at all and the way the race ends is by reaching a score limit so basically like a team deathmatch game where it's like the first team to 50 points wins that's basically what you're doing and so what you're trying to do is drive in like stylish ways boost and jump to gain more boost and then what you do with that boost is you try to smash into other cars and the other team's cars and basically take them out and that way you know it fills up your your team's gauge by you know using boost gaining boost eliminating players things like that and so the driving is just super arcadey super wacky there's crazy vehicles and motorcycles to play uh to play as um, and it's just it's just crazy stupid fun uh it has a lot of single player content online play and i just cannot recommend this game enough as a you know if you have xbox game pass this game is free it's like only it's like less than 10 gigabytes of download i cannot stress this enough if you have the time this is a game worth playing even if you're not like a car racing kind of gamer um think of it more like burnout only in the sense that like it's that kind of car game that appeals to a lot of not car gamers just because it is such a wacky and unique take on the genre the only thing i would say though that's like you know burnout is that there's a lot of cool like crashing animation when you when you do wreck your car the gameplay wise it's very much its own thing it's very unique cannot stress this enough on rush a lot of the characters and the animation and the soundtrack i think are a little weak but other than that the moment to moment gameplay is really quite awesome definitely a game worth checking out and it is a crying shame that the game underperformed as it did because really more people should check this out so yeah that's my recommendation for this week and with that said that will do it for our second episode of xbox on thank you so much again if you listened all the way through to the end i know this one was a little longer than last week's and be a little more droney in some places so again feedback is super welcome to let me know what you did and didn't like suggestions if you have any and just you know in general thank you so much for listening and we will be back next thursday for episode three of xbox on